Welcome to the Momenta Partners Uncommon Perspectives podcast series. This is Ed McGuire, Insights Partner. In this series, we bring you some of the most insightful and creative thinkers, authors, and practitioners who share their experiences and views across a range of topics that have relevance, not just for business, but for life as well. We hope you enjoy their insights. Good day, everyone, and welcome to the latest Momenta podcast. And our guest today is uh, Nikolai Zigakow, who is a professor at the Wharton School, and he specializes in uh, in, in strategy and innovation. Uh, he's actually the, the, the co-author of a new book called Connected Strategy, and um, we're going to be uh, – we'll be – dialing into the uh, the implications of this but um, uh, first would love to get a you know a, a bit of context and, and understand some of your personal history and and uh, really what what had brought you uh, to you know to where you are today and and ultimately is to you know focusing on on connected strategy all right great well thank you Ed, for having me uh, on the program it's wonderful to be here um, well, I originally am from Germany, as you can may tell from my accent, uh, but uh, I came from Germany after high school. Uh, I was an undergrad at Stanford, did my economics degree there, uh, got my PhD at Harvard in business economics and has been now here uh, at the Wharton faculty for the last 21 years uh, teaching strategy. And uh, another role that I'm playing here at Wharton is I'm also a co-director of the Mac Institute for Innovation Management. Uh, and it was sort of kind of through that work, both with my my students, with executive audiences and here at the Mac Institute, that sort of this topic of connected strategy came up that I've been really sort of pursuing with my uh, you know colleague and good friend, uh, Christian Tervish. That's great. So if you if you could share a little bit about the uh, the, the thesis of the book, I, I think you know, one of the one of the themes that comes up a lot in our in our discussions is this this idea that that connecting you know physical uh, processes to you know to you know to the digital world has downstream implications that are that are pretty profound that go beyond just technology and would love to you know re- really love to hear what drove what were the kind of the key yeah. Uh, drivers behind your, your the work that you put into the book, and 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 then then we can dive into some of the theses there. Yeah, I think sort of the overarching idea is that what we see right now across a whole set of industries is that firms are fundamentally reshaping the way they interact with their customers. Sort of rather than sitting there waiting for a customer to come to us, firms are now trying to create much more continuous relationships with their with their customers and maybe sort of one one example that was also sort of one of our initial examples that that really motivated us is healthcare right so usually the way i interacted with the healthcare system is i wait for something really bad to happen right and then i go to see my doctor or i go into the hospital and then once i'm in the hospital i have complete attention on me 24/7 by doctors by nurses 
And then at some point I get kicked out and I'm again completely disconnected from everything. And everyone is basically now just waiting for something catastrophic to happen again. So I get readmitted, right? And I mean, I think the moment you put it that way, you can start to see, wow, that doesn't sound very efficient, right? Either from me as a patient uh, or from the system as a whole in terms of how much cost we have. And so that I think is was sort of one of the things that really got us fascinated about these connected strategies was that quite often firms were able to create a better customer experience or patient experience, uh, while at the same time actually reducing cost, right? And if you can do both things at the same time, right, create a better product or service or a better customer experience while at the same time reducing cost, then you might actually have some disruption at your hands, right? And that's sort of what we're seeing in a number of industries, kind of companies coming in and actually really disrupting those industries because they're able to do both of these things at the same time. What what has changed that has enabled the uh, you know this ability to have both the technological transformation, but also this uh, this enhanced customer experience that for that couldn't be done before? Yeah. So what really has changed is technology, right? Sort of uh, uh, we sometimes think about kind of you know four different types of technologies. There's sort of technology that allows us to sense problems, right? And that is the cost of sensors has come down. Um, the cost of kind of extracting basically information has come down. Uh, then there is the cost of transmitting that information. Then there's the cost of analyzing that information and the cost of reacting to this, right? And all of these things have come down dramatically. And this is kind of what starts to allow us to have these new connected strategies. But what's really important to note is that firms who are creating connected strategies quite often are not the firms who are developing these technologies, all right? So a connected strategy is technology enabled, but you don't have to be a technology innovator to have a connected strategy. So if you think about Uber, right, Uber did not develop cell phones, GPS, and Google Maps, but they said, well, actually, if we put these technologies together, we can create a new business model that can actually be quite disruptive, right? So fundamentally, what, what connected strategies are about are really business model innovations rather than technological innovations. Yeah, that's and that I think is really the again, this this you know, this profound change that is is so inherent in, you know, in inter, a lot of these Internet of Things ideas. So, you know, when you look at companies that have are, uh, you know, that are that are successful in, you know, in, in your view, what what defines a successful connected strategy? And could you, you know, can you point to some uh, some examples? I think Uber Uber is one. But, you know, what are yeah. what are they doing different than yeah. uh, than other you know, than other firms? Right. That may have the, yeah. the same, yeah. Right. No, I mean, I think there are probably always sort of two aspects to it. Sort of one is, right, are we able to remove a pain point from the life of a customer, right? And that pain point might be, oh, I tend to be forgetful and I don't take my uh, medication. Or the pain point might be, oh, I would love to finish a marathon, but can you help me achieve that goal? Uh, the pain point might be, right, I want to order something very quickly. Can you help me doing that, right? So there are certain particular pain points and we can talk more kind of what types of different connected strategies you can create to remove these various pain points. Uh, so that's that's usually kind of one, one element of, of what those firms are doing. The second thing, which is somewhat related to that, is that firms are maybe able to you know, address what we might call more fundamental needs of a customer. So let's take an example of a running shoe, 
right? You might say, well, how the heck can I have a connected strategy with a shoe? But of course, nowadays, when you buy a, you know, a high-end Nike shoe, you're not just buying a shoe, but you're buying a shoe that has a chip embedded in it, that chip talks to my cell phone, that cell phone connects me to a virtual running club, right? And all of a sudden, Nike, that didn't have any connection with me at all, or maybe maybe just once every one and a half years, but then really my connection was with Foot Locker or the retailer I was buying the shoe from. Right now, Nike understands when I'm using the product, how I'm using the product. And Nike might start to understand, you know, really what I would like to do is not just to run, but to finish my first marathon. Right? And if you can now help me achieve that goal, well, now we're talking about a very different relationship, right? And a very different value proposition that the firm has with me. It's not just I'm selling you a shoe, but I'm selling you achieve a life goal that you might have. Right? So it's kind of both of those elements. Sometimes they're sort of minor pain points, but over time, kind of the hope of these connected strategies is that you are able to um, kind of be able to fulfill more fundamental needs of your customer. I mean, it seems like a lot of the early you know, connected strategies, and at least in our conversation, uh, some of the benefits that have come from being connected weren't necessarily anticipated. They're, they were discovered, achieved serendipitously you know, in the process of, of trying to solve one problem. Uh, the, uh, a, a vendor might discover insights about their customers that, uh, that, that can help solve other problems. I mean, you know, as, as you look back at the, you know, the evolution of, of, of your thinking, um, you know, how much of the kind of the initial thinking that that you've seen has you know has started with uh, you know has has relied a bit on this you know bit of serendipitous discovery and as you know as there's more awareness and as some of these processes and uh, you know, and and applications or solutions yeah. start to mature um, does it become a bit more systematized or or you know turn it turned into turn into method. Yeah, no, I think the, the the key element is that there needs to be learning in that process, right? And that's kind of, you know, you can call it serendipitous, and, and partly it is, but in partly it is also actually being uh, open to this serendipity to happen and to react on it, right? If I discover something that I actually take advantage of what I just discovered and learn it and put it into my processes, right, which is not not always obvious and not not, not that easy, right? And so, Indeed, I think this is actually a very, very core element of connected strategies because a lot of this connectivity that we talk about will probably in a few years become table stakes, right? Sort of everyone will have to have, you know, an app that I can, you know, look on certain stats. Everyone wants to have a bit personalization. So a lot of these things will become table stakes and sort of not having them will create a disadvantage, but having them may not actually create you a competitive advantage. It's just sort of to you know, keep up with your competitors. So where, really, where we really think that the source of sustained competitive advantage will come from is kind of through these learning loops, through the ability that I have now repeated interactions with you. Uh, and I'm starting to learn more and more about you, which may allow me to A, understand more and more your particular needs, and B, may allow me to change my products, change my services, so that I can really address the needs that I've now really understand well that you have, right? And now that sounds always very simple and straightforward and is really, really complicated and difficult, right? And I think this is kind of where firms will eventually differ, is indeed in sort of exploiting the things that we find out over time and really take action on that so we can refine our offering to a particular customer. How does this impact the sort of the, the product design or, or ideation stage? Mm-hmm. And uh, from an organizational perspective, uh, you know, as you know, as you foresee this, 
you know the or or you've identified this yep. you know this kind of significant you know change in a need to need to think strategically you know how how does this change how how people in uh you know on on product design teams and uh, need to yep. need to think about how their roles may evolve over time a great question right so you know think about netflix okay so i think this is sort of a nice example of that process in play um so Netflix starts to learn more and more about their viewers or a particular viewer, right? Now, contrast Netflix knowledge about viewers to the knowledge that traditional movie studios have. And you can really start to have sympathy for traditional movie studios, right? Because they don't get any information, basically, right? I mean, I kind of know, okay, this is how many people went to the you know, first weekend of my, of my movie. Uh, maybe I'm lucky and I have some relationships with some, you know, theater chains that through their loyalty programs may give me some information about who potentially was in the in the movie theater. Contrast that with Netflix that knows exactly not just the movies you watched, but any movie you ha- even have considered because you clicked on them. They know how long you watched it, when you watched it, right, in what sequence you watched it. So Netflix is information about a particular customer, right, is so much deeper than that of any movie studio. So what does that allow them to do? Well, in the first step, it allowed them to start to personalize, customize recommendations, right? Uh, Secondly, it then allowed them to say, okay, now I know, right, this particular uh, viewer loves to see political satires. I guess I need to license in more political satires because I have quite a number of viewers like that viewer, Right? So this is not just learning at the level of an individual, but now at the level of a population or of a segment of viewers. So that allowed them to be more systematic in some sense about the licensing, right? What kind of uh, shows do I need to license in? But in that at some point they said, oh, wait a second, right? We know much better than any movie studio or any production studio kind of what viewers want. Why don't we commission those things ourselves, right? And so... Um, and that's, I think, sort of where we start to see kind of that learning loop in, in context. Um, now, as a matter of fact, we actually had a, a conference uh, you know, sponsored by the Mac Institute where we had someone from Netflix who kind of talked us a little bit through this, right? And it was, at least on his insistence, not so much that the um, creative side gets so much influenced by it, but it is whatever product they produce, whatever show they produce, they know exactly who's going to watch it. <laughs> Right, so they have very much now target markets in mind when they start to commission things, uh, right? And so this is, I think, sort of a nice example of that of that sort of learning in action. Well, it would seem that there's there's an intrinsic advantage that Netflix has, just to use an example, because you know their model, they're I guess one would say they're completely vertically integrated, right? I mean, they from production all the way to distribution, they have uh, the complete visibility across their you know their their distribution chain. So, for companies that don't necessarily have that advantage of, of be, really being able to track, uh, you, you know, who's I mean, that's that's it's a, it's a it's a pretty simple distribution model right but um, but then you know when you look across different industries you know how you know how what are some of the considerations for you know for businesses that may have you know established distribution channels of products uh, and the uh, we might think about capital equipment right where you have capital equipment producers that are you know increasingly connected I, I think of you know yep. deer and caterpillar et cetera but they've, they've they all work through these networks of you know traditional physical distribution who then distribute yep. and service the customers, yet 
there's a, um, you know, there are, you know, the data, um, which we'll, we'll get to in a little bit, which I, I, I do have some questions about, you know, domain over the data uh, yeah. and, and, and ultimately who, who owns it. But, you know, how, how, what are some of the changes and, and changes, challenges and, uh, you know, and, and potential frictions that can arise for, you know, companies with that traditional model trying, lo- looking to adopt a more connected approach? Yeah. Well, I guess in some sense is, right, the hope and the, I think the aspiration of connected strategies is that we are creating more value. Right? Uh, we are creating a product or service that customers like more and we're able to drive efficiencies. So the end goal of connected strategies is we are creating more value. Now the question is how do we share that value? Right? Uh, how do we make everyone get a slice of that pie so that they are actually willing to participate and create that connected strategy? Right? And so that is even in the you know simple interaction between a firm and a customer, uh, and it becomes even more complicated if we have now other parties in between, right? If I have my distributor and the end customer, right? And so are you absolutely right? And you know everyone is wrangling right now about who owns the data, who gets access to the data, right? So if I'm John Deere and I put a sensor on the on the tractor, uh, well, that, that information can flow to my server. I don't need my distributor in between. So now the distributor might be unhappy or not, or the distributor knows certain things about the customer that I don't, and I know something about the customer that my distributor might find helpful, right? And so clearly those are very interesting organizational challenges, right? Uh, but if at the end of the day we are growing the pie, Right, we should be able to find a solution uh, of sharing things, right? And so, as a matter of fact, kind of one of the chapters in our in our book is all about revenue models, right? Because that is sort of, in some sense, very much linked to this uh, to this notion here, right? That as the information grows in in the system, there may be sort of new revenue models that are possible that were not possible before. Uh, and again, at the end of the day, it's a business model innovation, right? And we're certainly not saying it's easy, right? But but there are, you know, if we are growing the pie, presumably ways of how we can share things that we can all at least get a slice of the pie. Now, if we, obviously, there will be always a wrangling of who gets how much, uh, but that's, you know, what in some sense business, business is about. And that also would impact how uh, roles within an organization would would change as well, correct? So, um, I mean, as what as you've described, there's that you know there's the value chain and the and the and the established functions that uh, people who are in in distribution and service, for instance, used to take on. And now, with you know, with all of this, uh, with these insights that are flowing back upstream, um, you know, how how do you see how do you see uh, various organizations addressing some of the the opportunities and challenges that 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 also uh, can yeah. can create. No, I think you're putting your, your finger very nicely on kind of one of the key implementation challenges of connected strategies, and that is quite often it's not the technology, it's the organization. Right? Uh, there are actually organizational changes that are required. Um, so for us to have the ability to learn about that one particular customer, for instance, right? Whenever we interact with that customer, well, it is important for us to recognize that we are interacting with the same customer every time we're interacting with that customer, right? Be it online or offline or in this office or that office, or if it's a B2B relationship, whether it's this person from the company calling us or that person from the company calling us, right? And that turns out to be not a trivial problem, right? 
quite often we have a lot of silos within organizations. We have different IT systems and organizations. And so you are being treated as five different customers, depending on which IT system you're setting, right? And we never actually learn, oh, it's the same, it's Ed again, right? Kind of it's the same person uh, who we saw in our restaurant, now is in the theme park, and now he plays a video game. And this is actually the same person, right? And uh, in order to stitch all of this together, to be really customer-centric, quite often requires a some changes to the organization because usually we are organized by functions, not by customers, right? Or not by entire customer journeys. So uh, absolutely right that, you know, quite often there are quite some organizational challenges as well in order to implement these connected strategies. And the adoption of advanced analytics, of course, and of course, machine learning and, and AI have been very top of mind in terms of the role that they play in, in refactoring a lot of tasks, of course. would love to get your thoughts on uh, how, you know, some of the successful, you know, successful digital companies and connect, connected strategy companies are, are employing machine learning slash AI uh, technologies, you know, to really enhance the uh, efficacy of the of their, you know, of their products and, and solutions. Yeah, now I think they're, they're certainly very powerful tools, but I think where quite a number of companies are currently stuck at is they don't know what problems these tools actually are supposed to solve. <laughs> Right. Uh, and so there is sort of a little bit of this belief, well, we'll just have big data and we'll run our algorithm and it will tell us something mm. interesting, right? And we, I'm somewhat skeptical, and both Kristen and I are somewhat skeptical about that approach, right? And so I think um, because a lot of companies currently are stuck at this phase of, well, we've collected all this data now because it has been very cheap, but we have no clue what to do with it. Right. Well, let's get an AI guy in there. Well, I'm not quite sure that's actually the solution, right? And so kind of what we would advocate is that you first really understand in quite some depth the entire journey that the customer has with you. And what we mean by this is that the journey of a customer usually starts with some awareness of a need, right? Uh, you know, I sort of know that I should be saving for retirement, let's say. Okay, so now I'm aware of that need. Now I need to think about, well, what are all the options out there for me, right? And so there are a gazillion of options from life insurance to mutual funds to ETFs. So, you know, I have no idea what all these options are. So can you help me understand what these options are? Then can you help me understand what actually the best options are for me? Now I know this, but now how do I order this? How do I buy this? Do I need a broker? Can I do it myself? Right, then I need to do this. Right? And then at some point I enjoy actually the product or the service, right? And um, so understanding that entire journey, now understanding what are the pain points that the customer has along that journey, and then asking the question, okay, so what kind of information would I need from that customer in order to be able to remove a particular pain point, right? And now kind of in that matching, yes, AI might become really helpful, right? And I get more information about that particular customer, for instance, to understand what might be the best portfolio for that customer or to do some predictive analytics of trying to understand, you know, how might that customer change, you know, needs change over time so I can anticipate those needs. So clearly, you know, there's some big technology that, that can help us. But before we understand what problem we're actually trying to solve, the technology by itself will not do the job for us. Yeah, you hit on that, uh, you know, the great, the the baby with a hammer paradigm, which is what's you know when when companies and uh, you know people who are attracted to bright shiny new objects love to love to 
love to try out new technologies. I think it, you you hit on this concept that that again comes up, which is this this idea that you need to truly understand what the customer's needs are and where the pain points are before you start implementing the technology. And and in many respects, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's, that's the backwards process from how many companies have, you know, have traditionally uh, applied their business. Now, is, are there some uh, best practices or approaches that, uh, that, that you've seen for companies that are, uh, that have, that have taken this to heart so, or, 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 or do you see this a lot of, again, as a, a sort of an evolutionary or a learning process? Um, and I'm thinking about with established businesses that already have, you know, yeah. that, that have a, you know, you know, traditional, like say, non-digital businesses that are trying to, uh, trying to either modernize or, or offer new products. Yeah. Well, it's sort of this, Again, you know, when you just talked about shiny objects, right? So the, the term big data obviously is, is, you know, en vogue right now. And we sometimes uh, like to also highlight the value of small data, of actually really in-depth living with your customer and really understanding that customer's journey. And it is still kind of fascinating. I mean, we have the great opportunity to work with quite a number of companies here, uh, you know, through, through Wharton. Uh, and... Uh, it is still quite fascinating of how few companies truly put themselves into the shoes of a customer. Right? They always think about, well, what are our pain points? <laughs> you know, dealing with a customer, those we can. But actually understanding the pain points of a customer uh, right, is still a somewhat foreign concept. So um, really kind of firms that invest time practically living with their customers for a while, really understanding that well, uh, because sometimes there are quite surprising things and there may be sometimes relatively small things that from our perspective look completely trivial, um, but really make a big difference, right? And again, sort of by focusing on this entire customer journey, it really opens up a lot of more dimensions on which we can differentiate ourselves. So if we go back to my you know, retirement example, um, it's really difficult to differentiate yourself on selling S&P 500 index funds, right? Well, it's exactly the same fund, right? Uh, so uh, when people say, well, Nikolai, you know, you talk about differentiation in your strategy class. How can I do this, right? I'm in a commodity business. I say, okay, so then we need to find different dimensions on which we can differentiate ourselves, right? And by, and by the way, kind of, right, for instance, in this example, there are lots of ways of how you can differentiate yourself before you actually come to the moment when I'm selling you my S&P 500 index fund, right? Because at that point, I really almost don't care, right? Because uh, uh, you've solved all of these other you know, problems for me. And so that's, that's I think, what, what becomes really important for firms to uh, kind of pursue in order to create sort of some advantage. Yeah, I think I mean you've hit on this 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 concept of differentiation through experience, right? As products become services and services become experiences, you do have a much more uh, individual or differentiated touch that uh, you know that that becomes you know becomes elevated, becomes a lot more important, particularly as as technology erodes away some of the some of the natural frictions that uh, a limited distribution used to be able to uh, to benefit from um, as we look across industries and and you've you've cited a couple of them you've, you've cited media Netflix and um 
and and financial services. Um, what are you know, how do you how do you view some of the different challenges that uh, various industries, particularly uh, you know, we could say you know, energy, for instance, or agriculture, which we look at a lot, or or manufacturing. I mean, how what, you know, what are some of the the opportunities and challenges ahead? And uh, you know, for I would we'd call them brownfield opportunities, which is one of the uh, terms we like to use at, uh, you know, Momenta, really that apply to what we'll call industrial IoT companies. Yeah. Well, I I think actually that arena is uh, quite well positioned because you don't actually have that much regulatory constraint, relatively speaking, than, let's say, in healthcare. Uh, right when you think about HIPAA laws, or sometimes in in you know financial industry where there are heavier regulations, and so uh, it is actually I think in this sort of industrial uh, 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 space where in some sense the, the at least the regulatory frictions are much less, and so as a result we should have uh, you know quite some opportunities there. Now the kind of uh, what I've at least in. <laughs> my experience with firms in that field I've seen, there's right, sort of a little bit of a reluctance of engaging in these new technologies because we, we don't think ourselves so much as technology, you know, information technology companies as more like industrial technology companies, right? And uh, quite often these companies uh, are driven by the technology and there's sort of pride in we have the best product and that's how we're going to differentiate ourselves in the marketplace by always having the better product, more features, etc. Um, and this is exactly kind of that technology push rather the, than the understanding what actually my customer needs are, right? And so kind of that, that shift in thinking in those contexts sometimes is a little bit more difficult because people have grown up for 30, 40 years and have made careers out of being really good on the technology side. And of course, that is very important, right, that we have great products. Uh, but quite often, they are more driven by the technology rather than a deep understanding of the customers, right? And so this is why sometimes firms in these contexts are really upset if new firms come in with inferior products but are very successful, right? And they're saying, what the heck is going on, right? Why are they successful? Because they're solving some other pain point of your customer that you've never even thought about, uh, right? Of making it, let's say, easier to to monitor the thing or easier to order or easier to pay for or kind of some other added value that they are providing to the, to the customer. And they are saying, oh, overall, actually, the value I'm getting out of that relationship is more than the value I get out of your relationship. Yes, your product is a little bit better, but by gosh, you know, you are really hard to deal with and all of this other stuff. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's um, a, an interesting point that you make too, because technology, of course, and technology lock-in has been a uh, you know fundamental area of sustainable competitive advantage, at least in the technology industry. Right. I mean, you think about uh, you know being in the database business or you know running, uh, doing you know working with uh, enterprise applications like an SAP or Oracle's. Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, sustainable advantage was that it used to be that buying SAP was like pouring cement into an organization and. As soon as you you move to a uh, you know a, a software as a service model, right? That that changes the dynamics in in many ways. I um, would love to get your perspective on on what you see as the evolving nature of sustainable competitive advantage when you have companies that are uh, you know building out a a, a you know a connected strategy. Yeah. 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 So let's come back kind of to this to this notion of differentiation here and. 
Uh, I think what is really important is understanding that different customers will have different preferences over what kind of connected relationship they want to actually engage in. And maybe even the same customer at different occasions will have different preferences over how I want to actually get engaged with the company, right? And so uh, unless I understand that really well, uh, I might run into trouble. So kind of, you know, in our book, we're kind of spelling out four different types of what we would call connected customer experiences um, that, you know, conceptually kind of work on different parts of that customer journey that I talked about a little bit earlier. So uh, we talk about one connected customer experience, which we call is respond to desire. So here you have a customer who knows exactly what he or she wants, and now they just want to press a button and have sort of the rest of that journey be as smooth as possible, right? So that is, you know, I need a car to take me from the airport uh, right now, right? And so I, I press a button and that hopefully works very smoothly. Then there is the, um, what we would call curated offering, uh, where a customer sort of knows what they like, but not exactly, right? So uh, my example of, right, I, I know I want to, save for retirement, but how do I do this? I, I want to see a comedy, but what is actually the best comedy I could watch, right? Netflix, help me, right? Don't tell me you have 10,000 comedies, right? Um, so that's curated offering. So coming back very quickly to your industrial uh, customers, uh, what I've seen in this space is that firms really pride themselves on the thickness of their product catalog, okay? They are going to the customer and say, look, isn't this great? We've got 10,000 products, right? And here it is. Uh, and usually customers say, no, that's not great. Just show me the five that I actually need, right? And so if we can, right, that's curated offering, right? Do I really understand the customer well so I can show the customer exactly these are the things that you actually should be concerned about? Uh, then even further back in the, in the customer journey is what we would call coach behavior. Uh, so sometimes customers are not aware of their needs or they only become aware of their needs at rather suboptimal times. Right? So when I'm lying on the floor with a heart attack, that is not the best time to become aware of my need in terms of healthcare. Right? When I just turned 63, that's not the optimal time to become aware of saving for retirement. Right? After I've missed my medication for three days in a row, that's not the optimal time that, I, oh gosh, I forgot to take it. Right? So quite often we would like to do certain things, but we have a hard time, right? be it inertia, be it you know being overwhelmed, whatever. So coach behavior is... Can I nudge my customer or my patient? Can I sort of, you know, get them to do things that are actually good in their in their own interest? Um, and then, lastly, the fourth type of uh, connected experience is what we would call an automatic execution, where the firm now automatically deduces your needs and acts on this before you are even aware that that need has arisen. Uh, right? So I'm. Um, you know, sending you a replacement toner cartridge for your printer, you know, before it has run out, right? Because your printer knows when it's about to run out so the, your printer can reorder that itself, right? And so we have sort of these different kinds of connected customer experiences. And what we're really at pains to, to emphasize in the book is that there is not one right, not one best way, right? Certainly, we don't envision everything going down to automatic execution. Right? So when I sit in front of my TV, I don't think I want Netflix to immediately start screening something. Right? Hey, maybe give me the option of five and then I choose, right? I like that better than, you know, you think you know exactly what I want to watch. And so kind of understanding customers, uh, you know, what is the right type of connection? How much do they want to still be in the driver's seat versus how much do they want to delegate decision making to the company? Because frankly, I personally don't get any joy out of reordering toner. So if you can do that, wonderful, right? I don't want to deal with that. Um, 
So understanding customers along those dimensions, I think, will become really, really important for firms to really create a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Uh, because if you just try sort of one size fits all, more likely than not, we're going to uh, alienate quite a number of customers by either doing too much or too little uh, in terms of you know what they actually really would like to uh, us to do. No, that's that's uh, super helpful, I, and I, I I can see that you know uh, someone faced with the paradox of choice is going to going to want to cre- you know create it created alter- curated alternatives. Yeah. But on the other hand, being able to automate many processes, particularly in the uh, you know in domains such as as healthcare, can be just extraordinarily valuable. Um, I, I wanted to turn to a uh, going back to a bit of the the topic of uh, data. Uh, not so much stewardship or ownership, but the the relationship between companies and uh, their you know their customers and and the, the and some of the data uh, you know, constraints, um, whether they be regulatory uh, or social, you know that that companies have to think about when they're devising strategies. And I, in particular, I'd like to you know, uh, you know contrast some of the issues that are uh, that have arisen in the EU because of uh, GDPR. And um, we obviously have HIPAA here in the U.S., um, but but clearly we're starting to get a lot of pushback publicly around the big internets and 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 their yep. use of data and and maybe the lack of consent that you know that that's perceived at least uh, in terms of how people's data gets used to uh, um, to you know ostensibly offer them good services. Yep. But uh, but then you know how how you how do you ensure that you're doing things you know the the, the best way for your customers and the uh, uh, but then the most compliant in terms of uh, the re- regulatory strictures. Yeah. Well, so obviously uh, quite a number of questions sort of embedded in there. Um, so let's start out with if really the one of the fundamental goals of a connected strategy is that we are slowly sort of moving up this hierarchy of needs of customers. That basically means that trust becomes a tremendously important asset in building connected strategies. Now, if trust is a very important asset, then obviously issues around data privacy and data security become really, really important, right? Um, And so I think we can even talk about sort of data privacy and data security almost outside the regulatory framework. Now, clearly there is, you know, things you should do to be legal, right? And obviously we want to do that, but I think we need to go beyond that, right? Not just, you know, what, what are kind of the rules that we have to follow. And I think the way eventually this will play out is that, you know, I cannot jump immediately from, hey, just trust me. You know, I'll be your trusted advisor in health and fitness, or I'm the trusted advisor in financial. But you as a customer, please give me this amount of data, and then in return, I will show you how I can make your life better. And if I can show you that I can provide value back to you, then you might be willing to give me somewhat more data, right? Uh, and so this is a kind of A also why we said, really understanding these pain points is important so that you can more targetly ask the customer for this is actually the slice of data that I want, right? And this is particularly important also in the B2B context, right? So since we're talking about sort of industrial companies, for instance, right? And, you know, quite often in the B2B context, uh, customers are naturally hesitant, right, of, of sharing data with a supplier, let's say, right? Because what are you going to do with this? Are you just going to screw me, right? And so uh, by saying, okay, I don't just give me any data. I just want this particular data because that will help me 
in the following way and I can help you in the following way. And if I can show you this over the next year that, you know, your costs actually have come down because I've been able to right, send you replacement parts earlier than otherwise. And as right, the downtime of your machines has been less than before. Oh, OK, so now that I've shown you value, how about you know, you give me some other side of information that I can help you with, you know, buying replacement parts, not just plots, but maybe entire equipment or whatever, right? And so I think it is that that slow process of building trust through, you know, give me data and I show you how I create value with that. That is probably the only sustainable path forward, right? Now, of course, there are always short-term gains I can of, you know, reselling the data that I got from you to someone else, but, but you know, we don't think that that's really a long-run sustainable uh, strategy. Yeah, that's you know clearly there's a lot of uh, a lot of debate or a lot of controversy about uh, about those sort of models, but yeah. but I think you've articulated there is this continuum of of opportunity. So you know I'd like to just you know, look forward a bit and and uh, just get a sense of you know some of the you know some of the areas and some of the changes that you're most optimistic about, uh, given given all the work that you've done in in putting the you know putting together these these useful frameworks in in your in your book and uh, and also some you know con some some concerns or uh, you know potential risks that are out there that, that that keep you up at night yeah I mean again I think the overarching sort of hope that we have through these connected strategies and the potential of these connected strategies that we've seen is really that it will drive up tremendous amount of value creation, right? That we're really creating better experiences for customers, better experiences, let's say, for patients, while at the same time reducing cost, right? So that's, I think, the uh, the great promise of these connected strategies, and that's what really made us excited about them in the first place. Uh, the concerns are, of course, always then distributional, right? Sort of who gets this extra value, right? And so, um, and sometimes the value gets created in an entire population, uh, and then the question is sort of who gets how much of the benefit, right? So if you think about uh, natural concerns that we might have of sharing too much information with our insurance company, right? So I think. Uh, overall, we can probably drive down costs quite a lot if we had deeper information exchange, let's say, with, with insurance companies. But then the question is, who's going to benefit from it, right? Is it just the uh, uh, the insurance uh, companies? Is it just the really healthy people, who, uh, right? And so now if I'm not healthy, I'm really getting screwed, right? And so, but isn't that kind of what the role of insurance is? It's kind of somewhat of a kind of risk pooling kind of, right? And so that's, I think, as well, where regulation will, will have to play an interesting role, right, of kind of making sure of how are we creating a system where the the gains that we are producing get somewhat right spread around uh, in a way that everyone actually wants to participate in that in that particular system right and those are in some sense I think obviously concerns right that that go along with right data privacy data security right obviously any data that we have can be used in in ways that uh, also not just create value, but just potentially shift value, right? Kind of, uh, you know, I know now something about you and I can exploit you, right? I know you're away from home, so let me send the burglar right? <laughs> to, your, to your house, right? I mean, so obviously there are those uh, those concerns. They're not around connected strategies per se. They are about kind of that much more richer information flow that we're going to have. Um, kind of looking forward, I, I think though, kind of part of this process is set up somewhat inexorable, right? Because uh, I think everyone's expectations are slowly rising that when I interact with an organization, when I interact with a company, that 
I get much more personalized attention, a much more individualized treatment. Right? It's not just I come to you and you just treat me as if you've never seen me before. Right? I go to Amazon and Amazon actually knows stuff about me, right? And they can start to interact with me in, in much more personalized ways than if I go to uh, you know, a Walmart store, right? So now Walmart has to ask herself, okay, how can I create kind of all right, those kinds of recommendations that I can do online, how can I do it in offline ways, right? Kind of not to fall behind because the the expectation of, of, of customers, of patients, of students uh, are, are rising, uh, that you are providing more customized experiences. Uh, and again, this is just a, you know, a slow process, but I think it is a process that will continue. Uh, and uh, kind of, you know, as generations grow up with more customized things, kind of, right, what do you mean I just have to listen to everything on the radio? Just send me the stuff that I like, right? And again, we can think about how good this is and how bad this is and, and kind of, right, echo chambers, et cetera, right? But, but that is, I think, kind of a general direction in, in, in which, uh, which things are, are, are moving, which are probably hard to kind of roll back. Yeah, it's funny. I just saw a uh, a friend of mine had cited a, I guess, a recent study that showed that the the average attention span for Americans is around 16 seconds. So uh, people start getting impatient if they have to wait uh, longer than that. So it, it it is true. the The bar is really uh, it's the bar is really rising. So well, well, well listen. This has been uh, incredibly fascinating, and uh, I, I know that you know we're we're gonna we'll put up a link to your book. Connected strategy, building continuous customer relationships for competitive advantage. But uh, are there, uh, you know, wh where can our listeners go if they if they want to learn more about your work and and um, and uh, you know uh, be, you know understand a little bit more about about what you've been doing. Yeah, so so there, there are two websites you can go to. One is just my name, NikolaiZikelko.com, where you'll find more about sort of my work. Uh, if you're really interested more in the connected strategy things, we we created uh, also a website called connected-strategy.com, and uh, really kind of the and part of the fun thing about writing this book was that we were able to teach it while we were writing it, uh, and so what we've actually done inside the book is we have three chapters we call workshop chapters, uh, where we really kind of have worksheets that you can fill out. So you, you don't have to have that kind of, you know, how do I now apply this? Actually, when you read a book, sometimes you ask yourself, how do I apply this to my organization? Well, we actually guide you through how to do that. And when you go to our website, you can for free download all of these uh, worksheets. Uh, and we also have posted some examples where we filled out all of these worksheets. Uh, we have lots of podcasts on our website, kind of with some of the protagonists from the book and, and others who are kind of dealing with connected strategies. So there's a lot of resources that you can you know access for free on that on that website that will hopefully kind of allow you to you know apply some of these ideas more easily in your own organizations. Great. Well, listen, it's been a. Uh, a Fascinating conversation. Uh, again, this has been uh, Nikolai Zigakow, who is a uh, who's a professor at uh, at the Wharton School. Uh, again, this is Ed McGuire uh, from uh, Momenta, and uh, we want to thank you again for taking the time. It's 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 been fascinating. Great, Paul. Thank you for having me. You've been listening to Momenta Partners Uncommon Perspectives podcast series. We hope you've enjoyed the discussions and we, as always, welcome your comments, input, and suggestions. Thank you for listening.